You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. It feels weird describing myself as sober because drinking was never really something I really got into. And I've been thinking, I knew you were going to ask the question, so I've kind of broken it down to like different levels. And each level is a little bit more pretentious than the last level. So fundamentally, I am the most stubborn man on the planet. You can't make me do shit. If you tell me to do something, I will not fucking do it. So I think growing up when people were like, you need to drink, I was like, no, you're telling me to do that, so I'm not going to do it. And I think, I'm like 30 now, and I'm still like that, it's pathetic. <laughs> fucking hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you've been having a glorious week. I most certainly have been. We are now just about halfway through Vox and Hops Sober February 2022, which is proudly presented by pitch black north the satanic tea company if you're not aware as to who pitch black north the satanic tea company is well let me tell you a little about them right now they've been featured in the new york times uh their slogan is sin now steep forever uh i love them to death uh, every sip is blasphemy all of their products are ethically sourced expertly crafted and they're only made in small batches this past fall uh, Cryptopsy teamed up with Pitch Black North to create a very cool tea, and there are still a few of those left up on their website. That tea is called None So Vile. It's a lavender black tea with hops, so you should head on over to pitchblacknorth.com. That's P-I-T-C-H-B-L-A-C-K-N-O-R-T-H.com, and you can go and pick that up. If you do pick it up, uh, grab some other things, because uh, the wonderful humans at Pitch Black North have created a promo code for you, Vox and Hobsheads. If you use the promo code when you're checking out VoxHops15, that's V-O-X-H-O-P-S-1-5, you will save 15% off of your entire purchase. Not only will you be getting a bunch of great satanic tea, but you will also be supporting the podcast. Super stoked to have Pitch Black North supporting Vox and Hops Sober February 2022. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'd also like to ask you to rate and write a review for the podcast. Now, why do I want you to do this? You have to imagine that if someone is looking for a new podcast to listen to, what do they do? They scroll down, they check out those reviews. And if there are a bunch of great reviews for the podcast, well, they're probably going to give that podcast a chance. So if you were to write a review or rate the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice, you might actually be the person that helps sway someone's decision to become a future Vox and Hops head, and that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm with Chris Ryan of Party Cannon. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 324. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Chris Ryan of Party Cannon. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Cheers for having me on. Super stoked to be with you. Uh, this is a special episode because this is a sober February episode, and you are sober, so I appreciate you taking the time, coming and hanging out with me, and uh, talking about uh, your your sobriety, and we're going to dig into that later. But first, I would like to touch upon uh, how you coped with the glorious years of 2020 and 2021, and hopefully not 2022. How did you cope with these glorious times of covid uh overall it sucked man but i was in a very kind of fortunate position like i, d- I don't 
live off touring or anything like that. Like I have a full-time job outside that, so my job's pretty good. I could work from home. Uh, so in that kind of respect, I was pretty lucky compared to some other people. Like I had friends like becoming unemployed and things, but I can't complain too much. I was in a pretty privileged position, but overall I'm going to say fucking sucks, man. <laughs> it was a terrible situation for everybody. It's just awful, man. Like, I was waiting on my house being built uh, at the start of COVID and that got delayed. So instead of getting in February, it ended up being like November, December of 2020. So being like a fucking adult baby, I had to like stay at my parents' house for like an extra like year, pretty much. <laughs> fucking 28, 29, like, it's like, mom, do you need in the shower? Can I go in if you can? <laughs> fucking, yeah, yeah. But I guess, I guess everyone, how did you cope? How was it for you, man? Because I'm guessing touring took quite a big hit for you then. There was nothing. Uh, and we had nothing in the works. Uh, we were were are still uh writing a new record uh we wrapped up a tour in july of uh, 2019 with samprasong gino from slam man booking who actually helped set up this interview yeah. so massive cheers yeah, shout out to gino, gino. Man, my fucking man. Uh, we were doing the laws of the flesh asia tour last show that i performed at uh was in july 2019 in seoul korea and then we had nothing in the books we had one show that ended up getting canceled in 2020 but then nothing else up until just recently uh, Cryptopsy performed at Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal the metal and beer festival that we just did right, back in December it felt so damn good to be yeah, back on stage yeah it's a good feeling man we had a shitload of stuff cancelled in 2020 and even 2021 like we were meant to go back to America uh, I booked a bunch of European gigs we had a 75 capacity venue gig in Inverness cancelled that was that was a weird one uh, Literally everything, man, we had so much touring planned and it was all down, down the pan. And since we were self-managed at that point, it was all gigs I booked. So I was... Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So since uh, I work full time as well, that was my spare time. I'm never getting back. Just completely gone. Yeah. Well, what was the, yeah. <laughs> the alternative? Mass deaths, I guess. Fucking... So who knows? <laughs> that's that's rough a lot of work goes into booking stuff yeah, yeah people that don't you know people outside the industry do not understand how much work and and leg work and patience and writing the right message at the right time yep. goes into yep. booking so, shows art in itself man crazy yeah. props to you for doing so that i mean like outside of that it's all about building your band to the point where people want to book you as well so when we're like getting all these like yeah like we had american tour cancel we're on like two big festivals in america as well it's not just the booking time, it's all the time we spent becoming the band that becomes bookable as well. It's just kind of down the drain, just straight away, like, yes. crushed. But, I'm, the way I say is, I'm glad it's a global pandemic that fucked off, and not anything I did. Because I've been there before. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <good>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're all in the same boat, we're all fucking suffering. So, so, man, I feel bad complaining, because obviously I'm speaking from a position of, oh, my little band couldn't play some gigs. And there's a lot of people out there like, my relatives died, I lost my job, I couldn't, mm. yeah. So, I mean, it, and it's a drop in the ocean. It sucked, but people have bigger problems than fucking demo bands. <laughs> but to us, it feels so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and typically craft beer, but we're not going to be talking about that today. Uh, what are you going to be drinking on your side that we're going to be sharing virtually? So today, man, I'll be drinking... Iron Brew, but not just any regular Iron Brew. I'll be drinking a glass bottle of 1901 Iron Brew, which is a limited edition, or they say limited edition, it's a permanent thing now. Uh, it's the original recipe of Iron Brew that came out in Fuck 1901. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty different. It's mega sugary. I, 
going to go into the lore of Iron Brew for a little bit here. Uh, Iron Brew recently, kind of a uh, standard Iron Brew recipe changed recently. So there's way less sugar in it now. And a lot of people kicked off about that. There's a sugar tax in the UK. So it became unviable for like a small Scottish company to keep charging way above what they usually do. So what they did was they reduced the sugar so to keep the price the same. But to compensate for that, they released this special edition, which is so unbelievably sugary, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, my personal trainers will be fucking listed like, Chris, what are you doing, man? Why are you drinking that? But fucking love it. And you need to represent <laughs> Scotland as well. Like you were saying, uh, your grandma is Scottish and you tried Haggis and Iron Brew well on tour. That's right. Yes. Uh, I'm a proud half Scotsman. Uh, my grandmother's from Greenock. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. That's where she grew up. And my dad, too. He grew he grew up in Greenock and moved uh, to Canada when he was uh, three years old. So I'm a, I'm a very proud half Scotsman. And before we said we were setting up the interview, we're like, I, just to warn you, I have a very <laughs> strong scottish accent and i was like oh damn I'm, I'm looking forward to just listening to you talk because i used to go to my grandmother's house every weekend and she'd cook us lunch and then oh, nice, she would just you know and i you know growing up in a house like that i completely understand every word you're saying perfectly and it makes me think of my granny so thank oh, you no way man that's amazing like i'm glad to bring you that nostalgia uh other scottish people find me kind of under hard to understand as well my accent is a bit unusual for a scottish person because uh, my family way down the line is irish so they kind of moved over, and my parents lived a bunch of places. Uh, my mum grew up in Edinburgh, and my dad grew up in Glasgow. So it's kind of conflicting things. Um, people in Fife, where I'm from, they, they speak kind of weird too. So my, my accent's a bit of an amalgamation of uh, different Scottish accents. But yeah, yeah, it's all good, man. It's all good. See, some people think I sound American, and I've had that in America as well. One time when Parry Cannon were on tour, we are checking into a motel, and I handed the guy my driver's license, and he's like, Sir, this is a European driver license. I was like, yes. He's like, why is that? I was like, because I, I, I live there. I'm from there. He's like, you, you've lived here long <laughs> enough to uh, lose your accent. He's like, I've been here two days. He's <laughs> like, are you not from like Baltimore? He's like, no. Like, what? But yeah, that's an interesting one, man. Some people like can't guess, but if that sounds Scottish to you, that's all good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Iron Brew, um, one of the few countries in the world, I think there's two of them, if I'm correct, I might be wrong, uh, where Coca-Cola is not the main sold soft drink. Peru with Inca-Cola, and then Scotland with Iron Brew. Is, I think they're the only two countries that Coca-Cola isn't the main sold fizzy drink. Yeah, it's true, man. Uh, Iron Brew way outperforms Coca-Cola here. I believe in Russia, they sell Iron Brew quite a lot. I don't know if it outperforms Coca-Cola there, but... Uh, I know I have friends who like played Russia, been to the Kremlin and stuff, and Iron Brew is just on sale from stalls there. Really? It's kind of surreal, it's amazing. right? On my side, I'm going to be drinking Pitch Black North and Cryptopsy's uh, brand new tea collab, oh. the Satanic Tea Company, Pitch Black North out of Calgary. Um, I absolutely love these guys. Uh, their tea is really good. I love their branding. I love um, their social media. Dominic that runs it is a fine fine satanic human i love him to death uh this is none so vile but spelled spelt n-u-n um it's a lavender black tea and uh, there's actually a bunch of hops in it too uh because we made a killer collab with a beer uh, from new level brewing and they actually put this tea in the beer so there's hops in the tea i love i love it i love it, I love yeah, it. So sick, man. cheers to you thank you for hanging out with me with your with your extra sugary iron <laughs> so brew. Cheers, bro. <laughs> mm. 
Um, I would love to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you're growing up in your parents or guardian's house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? So soundtrack to my youth. My dad, especially, he was like a massive blues guy and kind of old school, kind of bluesy rock, hard rock type person. From a young age, I was always exposed to things like Eric Clapton, Black Sabbath. My dad was mega into Cream. My mum liked things like kind of prog rock as well, like Genesis and things like that. So things on the radio was always the classic hits. Like there's always Sav Lad Sabbath on, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Uh, I, always, I really remember my mum playing Walk This Way by Aerosmith and Run DMC a lot. That seemed to stick in my head. I remember as a kid, like being really young, I always wanted to listen to that song. So I was like, like no one in my family was really a musician, but rock music and blues music had always been there. My dad always tells me a story about going to see the Eagles with Queen supporting them and Queen also had long hair. It really holds on to that effect. And he says he's seen every iteration of Deep Purple and Rainbow there is to see. And yeah, he tells me about saying Iron Maiden by accident one time. So all this stuff <laughs> kind of grew up. I, I knew it was always there. While I was maybe not cognitively functioning enough as a child to understand, I was listening to original heavy metal or precursor to fucking hard rock or whatever. It was always there. That sound has always been with me. The sound of the story car guitar is like, been in my life for a long time. Take me to your first show. Do you remember the first show that you went to go see? Your first live music experience? So the first band I willingly went to see was a band called Velvet Revolver with, which was like... Really? Yeah, that was a good gig band. It was um, So people don't know, Velvet Revolver were kind of an offshoot of Guns N' Roses. So it was Slash, Duff McKagan and Matt Sorum. I believe Matt Sorum was in mm-hmm. was on Use Your Illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, why my dad was fucking mega into Guns N' Roses, actually. Now to think about it. So, that's, oh, so when Velvet Revolver came out, I was instantly interested because I like Guns N' Roses as well. So I had Scott Whelan from Stone Temple Pilots and uh, it was at the Glasgow venue. It was like an arena. I was like, my first gig was a massive arena. Like a slowdown gig at the SECC. So it was like thousands of people. And a band called Biffy Clyro supported them when they were like a small band. I don't know. And they were quite a small band at the time. Then the next time I saw Biffy Clyro, was in the SCCC headlining, completely sold out. So they became oh, like okay. UK sensations. Yeah. Like amazing. Shortly after that. But yeah, it was amazing. Like, I remember my dad driving me and my friends there and he's saying, yo, you're not prepared for how loud this is going to be. So just, just, just keep that in mind. This is going to be the loudest thing. Like, imagine how loud it's going to be even times out by 10 and that's how it's going to be. I was like, I shut up. I just, just been old. Then I got there and he was absolutely fucking right. I remember Duff's bass, like his bass tone, like sticks in my mind just because it's so unique. It's got up kind of coarsely sounds it pounding through me as <laughs> like a kid I wasn't even like earplugs or anything like stuck to it we had to sit in seating as well because we couldn't get fucking standing tickets I remember that I remember that really sucking actually I remember just the bass tone like sticking me to the seat it was like so loud and so like punching oh wow it was insane and as soon as I kind of felt that I was like cool I know I want to play bass I know I want to fucking do this as well it just seems amazing I just want to be on stage fucking performing it was a real kind of like eye-opening thing I didn't expect it to be that kind of mm-hmm I opened because at that point, like I like music, I was interested in it, but I wasn't mega interested in it. If that makes sense. It wasn't like a kind of passionate thing for me. But as soon as I started, I was it was hooked. That's that was my life down the drain. <laughs> you're like you're like dad, dad. You got to buy me a bass now. Okay, straight away. I was like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to definitely play bass now. <laughs> <laughs> How about your first time on stage? So my first time on stage it was uh, my high school band. I used to be in a band called Psychoanalysis. Uh, it was your typical. So, just to put this in perspective, I'm 30 now, so I kind of grew up in the metalcore, melodic metalcore, uh, in flames type boom thing. So, 
I was 14 or 15 when I played my first gig. It was 2006, I believe, maybe seven. We played a place called The Soundhouse in Glasgow, where I saw Cryptopsy before, before you were in the band, I think. I was very young at the time. Mm-hmm. I think it was, who was on that bill? I can't remember. But um, yeah, so my high school band was, it was, yeah, typical type thing. So Killswitch Engage, it was big at the time, In Flames, Unearth, Trivium. So it just kind of sounded like that. Shouting, screaming, clean singing at points, uh, knock off at the gate roof, fucking, yeah, that whole kind of thing. And it was fun. I absolutely loved it. Like, I remember doing it. I was so excited from the gig. The rest of my bandmate were really nervous about the whole thing, which is fair enough. But I couldn't wait to go on stage. Uh, I was getting lessons, bass lessons from a guy called Laurie McMillan, and he played bass for Ray Wilson. That's his name, sorry. Ray Wilson, not Steve Wilson. Uh, Ray Wilson. So I've been getting lessons from this guy, and I've been picking his brain about touring the world and playing gigs and getting all the advice I could. And he was giving me really good advice. He was just giving me how to deal with nerves what to do if you can't hear certain things. So I felt like before going on stage, I was pretty confident. I was pretty confident. Like, cool. I had all this advice in my head. I know what I'm going to do. Uh, if this happens, I know what to look out for and this. And I was like trying to tell this to like a bandmate. It's like, here's some advice I've got. I know. I'm just shocked. You don't know what you're talking about. Fucking, you're also 14. Where are you, where are you on? <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah, cool. <laughs> but I remember I loved every minute of it. Uh, I know we just played to like my friends and my family uh, and fucking random people came to see like the other bands. It was just like a local band night. Uh, we had to like, sell tickets and things like that. It was mm-hmm. one of those deals, but I loved every moment. And I remember I used to like watch all the videos, like my friend's mom took of us, like playing back. I used to watch them religiously, like study them, how we could be better, how we could sing. I looked around, oh, look, we did a great job. I remember like sitting back watching it with a guitarist, but like, look, we did great. We sounded really good. And he'd sit there and be like, no, it's terrible. We're fucking up all the time. I hated every moment of this. I can't, I can't believe we went and played a gig to these people and they're all just going to think we're dickheads and stuff. Like, oh man. I was like, I was just kind of polar opposites. So I loved everyone, even like mistakes and stuff. I was like, that's live music. That's what I enjoy about it. And he was like, no, no, no. He just seems to take it kind of like a crushing way. But yeah, I think we played to like <laughs> 20 people at most, to be honest. <laughs> but the lineup we played, with, yep. I remember it being like really sick. Um, we played with this band called Visual Day, where one of Glasgow's like kind of original death metal bands. And they were like, they had hyperblast, like pig squeals and stuff. And they're like really good, like brutal death metal. And they end up being the end of like touring of a lot of bands uh, after after it, mm-hmm. and uh, their vocalist went on to join Cerebral Bore as well. So uh, for a little while, so I thought it was amazing. Like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to play Bristol Day. I've got like their demos and stuff. Uh, I was really hyped about it. Then, yeah, it was just, it was just good. I, was, I felt like I made a big step when I played that gig, and I kind of felt like I wasn't wasting time like playing bass. I kind of felt like I put a lot of effort in when I got these lessons, and now I'm doing it. This is all I want to do. Whereas I think my other bandmates were kind of shaken by the experience. <laughs> so, you know, you have to either be ready or not ready. And as you, you know, I've played in a bunch of bands leading up to being in Cryptopsy. Yeah. And uh, not everyone is in it for the same reasons, right? So Yeah, definitely, man. It- you have to go through those experiences, and especially in early bands. And I started with a band outside of Montreal. Sometimes you just, you end up being in a band with people because they can play that instrument. And you, and you need that drummer. Yeah, you need yeah. That. Especially, especially <laughs> drummers, man. No, if, if any of my old bandmates are listening, <laughs> I love you all. But, you know, some people weren't in it with all the same uh, <laughs> enthusiasm and passion as the rest of us were. So No, for sure, it, man. It takes time to, to... But you have to get through those gigs to get to the gig where you're supposed to be. Definitely, man. That's kind of why my high school band fizzled out in the end, I think. Um, 
I ended up driving for a few bands when I, well, eventually when I was like 18, I got my driver's license and things. Uh, I'd be like MySpace and Facebook and stuff were like a bit bigger then, so it was easier to connect. So I was talking to other people. I was like saying I can drive, I'll drive people to these gigs and stuff. And that way I'll meet other promoters, see how they do things. Because at that point in time, mm-hmm. Super Bowl were really taken off. And I saw what they're doing, and they were unsigned. Super Bowl were touring America. Super Bowl were touring Europe with Defeated Saturday. Defeated Saturday, like our favorite band. It's like, how are they doing that? Like, what's stopping me doing it? So when I started driving these bands around, I was like, well, I'll just pick everyone's brain, hand out as many demos as I can, do that kind of thing. Can I get a, just network? It was all networking. So then mm-hmm. I started trying to get gigs in England for my band. It was still my high school band at this point, and they weren't really into whole driving, getting paid like minimal and playing to outside people like booking things ourselves they were quite quite happy just playing like support slots in Glasgow or playing like short drives like Dundee and things like that because uh, at that point we're mainly just playing like ticket selling support slots like Celtics your mates support fucking uh, Onslaught or uh, Misery Index things like that was, yeah. yeah it was just kind of like pseudo buy on type things and they seem quite happy with that but I kind of want more I wanted to tour in the world and play certain things and also a big factor of that was we were still playing like melodic death metal and metalcore type stuff by that point in time I was fully into like slamming death metal like I wanted to play that kind of thing so it's a bit of a disconnect mm-hmm. but it was a good step in stone I learned a lot so when I started Party Cannon and in a good savagery we had a good basis to start off I had clear visions on how to get out there how to like play to actual people who give a fuck about your band yeah so like you're saying Everyone's in it for kind of different reasons, and at that point, I needed to find people who were in it for the same reasons I was. No disrespect to my other bandmates, like they're still my friends, I love them and stuff, but they're not uh, actively in bands at the moment, so I can see you. It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> that proves the point right there. You know? <laughs> Let's talk. This is a sober February episode. I'd love to talk about your sobriety. Uh, have you ever drank? Did you ever drink? Uh, tell me your journey, your story, please. So I have drank before. It's just kind of occasional type thing. I've never been kind of binge drinking type person. So I feel it's weird describing myself as sober because drinking was never really something I really got into, and. I mean, I knew you were going to ask the question, so I've kind of broken it down to like different levels, and each level is a little bit more pretentious than the last level. So fundamentally, I am the most stubborn man on the planet. You can't make me do shit. If you tell me to do something, I will not fucking do it. So I think growing up when people were like, you need to drink, I was like, no. You're telling me to do that, so I'm not going to do it. And I think, I'm, I'm like 30 now, and I'm still like that. It's pathetic. <laughs> fucking, yeah. So fundamentally, so that's like, I kind of like surface level reason. I think the next reason, uh, and I kind of realized this more and more like as I got older, was drinking just seemed to get in the way of a lot of things like I wanted to do. Not me drinking, but other people around me drinking. So if I want to go to band practice and things, uh, when we're younger, I'll find everyone into it. But then eventually things like band practice would be like, oh, I don't want to go. I'm going to be hungover that day. Or I want to save my money to fucking spend on booze. Like, girls getting away. Uh, and things like... I just had the like, goals and like projects that I needed to work on and with other people. But often drinking would just come first, be like first and foremost in life. Not in like an alcoholic type way, but just why would I put effort into this when I could go fucking get drunk and it'll be more fun? It's like And mm. since I was born a bigger priority. Yeah. There's a yeah, bigger priority for other absolutely. people. And uh, I was born in November, so I'm I feel like quite younger than a lot of people in my social group. So they were like turning like sixteen, seventeen mm-hmm. in January, whereas I just had to wait till like November. So never getting driver license before I was never able to like do certain things before I could. 
So I was kind of relying on them to do certain things. So we say we make plans to go to a gig in Glasgow. Where I live is a place called Dunfermline. Uh, well, I grew up in a place called Dunfermline. I live in a different place now, but um, in order to go to any gig, they all happens in Glasgow and Edinburgh, and that's at least like 40 minutes to an hour and a half drive there and back. Mm-hmm. And so if I want to go to a gig, I had to kind of rely on them or my parents to take me. And obviously it wasn't fair to keep asking my parents to take the gigs on the weeknights and stuff when they like work. So I would organize with friends, go to certain gigs, and eventually be like, oh no, I want to save my money for going out on a weekend, or I'm too hungover, or I, I don't want to go if I can't drink. And I don't want to people don't want to go to gigs because they couldn't afford beer in the gig, so they didn't want to go to the gig at all. Things like that. So, and then I got to the point where I was in, when Parkinson started taking off, uh, some members would be like, oh, I don't go, um, I can't make practice, I'm too hungover. Uh, I can't, I didn't learn songs, I got drunk instead. We turn up to gigs and people are like just hammered and you kind of like play and stuff. So just things like that. Just kind of seeing how drinking became like a priority in other people's lives and it's kind of affecting like my goals and ambitions in a way. I'm not like saying in an arrogant way. Like I don't demonize drinking. I want, yeah, I want to make that one clear. I don't demonize drinking in any way. I think it's all personal choice and if you can cope with it, it's fine. Obviously it affects people differently, but just in my life, in my kind of like bubble, it just seemed like alcohol and drugs were really getting in the way of things I wanted to do. And I just felt like there was more to life than just getting drunk. I wanted to add certain things I wanted to do. And yeah, trying to rely on other people was not working out very well. So I, kind of, I kind of put me off drinking from an early age. And I think another reason going a bit more kind of existential as well. I'm sure it's the same around a lot of the world. But in Scotland, there's quite what I describe as a toxic drinking culture. I know toxic is like a kind of buzzword at the moment. But it kind of hits all the points I'm trying to make. Uh, just from a young age, it's just kind of instilled into you that you're a man, you have to go fucking drink pints, you have to go to the pub afterwards, work, you have to work, then your reward for working is drinking at the pub, and the pub came as kind of deified place where you had to go there, that's where all your good memories will happen. You work Monday to Friday, then a weekend you go to the pub, and then you go back to work, that's all the life is. If you can drink more pints than this guy, you're more of a man, and yeah, it's just stuff like that, I, I just I just didn't, even from a young age, I couldn't like articulate the thoughts as well, but it just felt wrong to me. Again, not demonizing drinking anyway. Do what you want, but I just wasn't in that kind of culture. I just, I just want to do more. Going to do more of that. And there, uh, yeah. And I kind of find a reason, like, kind of later in life, as soon as I came kind of more cognitively aware of certain things, I'm quite like, I can be a person of routine and I can be a person of habit. And I've started kind of identifying kind of more, maybe possibly addictive parts of my personality. So as an adult, I'm like, hmm, I do these things all and I can find this routine quite easily. Maybe I dodge a bullet by not getting into drugs and alcohol because maybe I have addictive qualities that I've not really addressed before. And by viewing it in this light, it's like, oh, cool. Maybe I did get into drinking. It might have not worked out well for me as it has for other people. Because I have friends who take heinous drugs and drink a lot and it doesn't affect your life mm-hmm. in any way. They're in control of it. But I have other friends who do the exact same thing and it completely ruins them. They can't like, break the habit. Uh, yeah, I've had friends who've like, come to me like, oh, I've been addicted to cocaine for six years. I've only just kicked it. I've other friends who are like, oh, I took, I take cocaine every weekend. It's fine. I'm working this job. It's not hurt my life in any way. So, yeah, variety of reasons, man. That's very interesting. And I completely agree that the, the UK culture, Australian culture is another one. The American frat party culture all sort of stems together of a pint and the amount of pints and the competition of it. And then something you also mentioned that I thought was super interesting was that the, the culture of being a grown up 
of being a man, you go to work and then you go grab a pint afterwards. And that is a ideal life for most people. And you looked at that and you said, I want more than this life. So you're rebelling against the norm is interesting. I find that very, very interesting and commendable that, that at a young age too, that you realized that, that you saw what normal regular life, you know, here in Canada, I guess it would be more so like the two kids, the house in the backyard, let's say, whereas in the UK, it's, it's a job, a hard uh, labor job almost. And then uh, going to the pub and slamming a few pints before going back home to eat supper with your family. <laughs> and is that not what metal and punk is all about? Going against the norm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just been. I think it's very, very interesting. Yet, um, you formed a band called Party Cannon. Yeah, and there's a disconnect there, isn't there? Yes, and I, I'm very con- interested in this. So, so your whole band's concept basically is is excess and fun. Yeah, man. I mean, whilst I don't drink, I still love partying and I still love fun. This is a misconception a lot of people have. Like that straight edge people are nerds. I don't really use the term straight edge, but and I am a fucking nerd, but I still do enjoy having fun. I still go to parties. I still like go like house parties and stuff, and still enjoy doing dumb shit. I'm just sober while I do it. That's all I think. I think, man. <laughs> See, but a lot of people looking from the outside wouldn't think that, though. That's that's what I find interesting. You would imagine that party cannon are insane humans that <laughs> can drink you under the table yeah. and uh, have fun while doing it. You know what I mean? That's my, my, that was my first, when I first stumbled across, I think we played together, actually. Did, in Edinburgh. We did, yeah, right? Yeah, it was a non-survival tour. Yeah, in Bannerman's. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, that was a weird little room. Um, <laughs> but lots of fun. Uh, but I remember the atmosphere being like, these guys are crazy. Uh, when I got hooked up to do this with you, I definitely want to ask you, and it, since you're one of the founding members of the band, um, how did you find that balance of you broadcasting fun and party yet you yourself you can still party as you as you just mentioned but you're you're, you're much more docile than say people that do it in over excess well i mean now our guys in the band are still into, like drinking and drugs and things so i mean it's not entirely disingenuous but the way i say is it's just it's just a concept as well like the way i've always kind of envisioned like slam death metal and gore grinders is always a party there's always fun like if you go to death feast in germany exactly or obviously extreme People would run in circles and fucking having fun. Like Gulax, uh, they're a fun band. Yeah. I know Matty pretty well. He doesn't live in actual physical shit. And their band's all shit themed. Uh, even, I guess, in, in Encryptops to yourself, like, uh, you have songs like Slit Your Guts. I don't think you're actually out, like, fucking slim people's guts. So, and stuff, That's man. true. That's true. That's true. So, Shh, well, don't tell them. <laughs> I ruined the mystique there, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just like a concept as well. I mean, you go to a party can gig and you have fun. It's a party. We are delivering what we're saying. You don't have to live that life. But like I'm saying, like guys, we still like party. We still have fun. So it's not. It's not totally like it's not like we're lying to people's faces or anything. <laughs> are there are there fans sometimes that come up to you and for some reason in their mind they're German in my mind right now, and they expect you to party with them, and then you don't, and they're disappointed. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's been a case quite a lot, man. But. I've, no one's ever been like aggressive about it in some way. I'm sure a lot of people meet me and are very disappointed. But then they can just talk to one of our members and they're like, yeah, you're cool. I'll go smoke with that guy. I'll go fucking drink with that guy instead. But if anyone's asked to come drink with them, I'll still go drink with them. I'll just have a non-alcoholic drink. I, I love hanging out with the fans and stuff, part of them. Like a Death East, a, a nice deep day, like any kind of open air festival we played, we're just camping. We'll go out and just like party people. It's like the joy of being like a band, is, like meeting people, like 
of our cultures and our places and just having fun, like experiencing things in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I'm sure there's a lot. Are there times when your bandmates get a little too out of control <laughs> and it frustrates you a bit more because you are the sober one? Yeah, yeah, oh, totally, man. Like, I'm sure that's the case with any band, though, man. Like, uh, yes. If you have like a drunk member, like even in personal life, like I remember, like the older I got, like when I was like partying, when I was like in the late teens and mid twenties, like I was getting pretty like boring, like babysitting people. Like, uh-huh. I know you're sober, and I know it's not my responsibility. But if you see someone who's like fucked, like passed out, I can cognitively see that's an issue. So uh, something he's done about that, like that person needs some level of care. I just don't have it in me. Just be like, oh, you've done this to yourself. Just fucking suffer. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a point. <laughs> I'm sure everyone can relate. Even all. All people from all facets of drinking and stuff can relate that. If you're around people who've just taken it too far and can't, uh, just can't deal, that is frustrating to be around. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say <laughs> I'm not frustrating to be around. And it's probably more frustrating because I'm totally sober and I'm still just a dickhead. So <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, other touring packages, other bands that you've toured with uh, that were not sober but saw you? have such a good time and have such a good balance have they ever hit you up or have you ever been hit up um with them asking you for advice i have people in my life who've not not just like people I've toured with, but i just in general who i've tried to kick drinking kick drugs and stuff and they've come to like how do you manage to stay sober how do you manage to be around drunk people when you don't drink but to be honest mm-hmm. i feel like i am the wrong person to ask because drinking has never been a big part of my life i have mm-hmm. drank less times than I can count on my fingers, like probably less than 10 times. I've, I've been actually drunk probably only a handful of times and those are like years apart and stuff. So I feel like I'm the wrong person to ask because I've never had that influence on me. I've never had that kind of drinking is there. I've, I've never really had it as a focus in any way. So I've, I've never given it up is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, yeah. I don't even think about drinking in a way. Like it's, it feels like an alien concept to me. I feel so far removed from it that I could not in good faith give someone genuine advice on how to quit drinking. And I mean, I appreciate when people hit me up and, and they see me and be like, cool, he seems to have his shit together. I don't have my shit together, but uh, it's nice to broadcast that kind of <laughs> confidence of having your shit together. But uh, yeah, man, I, just, I, don't, I don't think I could give someone like advice on how to stop drinking since I've never really been through it myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't start that's in the true, first place. And go, back and, go back in time and make a different decision. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Volumes of Vomit, 
new record came out on uh, January 14th via Gora House Productions. Uh, talk to me about this. Uh, a new record first in a little while. Um, it's aggressive. I was listening to it right before we sat down here and my son, who's really into extreme metal recently, he's three, uh, was disappointed when I stopped it. He was really into it. Uh, so so talk, to, talk to me about this record. Um, <laughs> um, where is it going? Is it a continuation of what you were doing before? Is there something new? Is there something surprising? Is there something about this record that you wish you could change? Talk to me about Volumes of Vomit. So Volumes of Vomit is our second full-length album. Our first full-length album, Bong Hit Hospitalization, came out in 2015. So it's quite a gap. And the reason there's been exactly yeah, yeah. yeah the reason there's been quite a gap is uh, we've always started writing an album we've always the goal has always been to put out a second album but since we work full time dedicating time to finishing an entire album it's been quite difficult and usually what happens is we'll get like five three or five songs into writing an album since they're all kind of remote and we live quite far away natural songwriting process takes a while and contrary to popular belief pirate kind of songs are really difficult to play like there's lots of parts lots of riffs. The drumming especially is quite intense. So mm-hmm. our drummer our drummer's amazing. He puts in like probably the most effort to actually his instrument and the rest of the band. But um, it's always a case of starting slow and building up to get to a point where it sounds like the way we want it to. So every song is kind of like a mountain and we need to climb it and it takes a while. But usually when we're about three or five songs into writing a second album, we'd get a really good tour offer. So... Two years after yeah. our first album, we put out an EP called Perverse Party Platter. That was meant to be in the second album, but we got a really good offer to go back to America and do three weeks in America with uh, Parasitic Ejaculation again. And we're going to play Berry Death Fest and Chicago, Dom- uh, Chicago Domination Fest. And I was like, if we're going to do this, I want it to make the most of it, so we need to release some new music. So we took the five songs we had finished and just turned out an EP and released that. So when we came back from that gig, in fact, as soon as we came back from that gig, we played with you guys in Edinburgh. So that's 2017. So I remember that. And uh, yeah, so we pretty much started from scratch again. So we started from scratch again. And 2018, we kind of finished a bunch of songs. Finished like three songs maybe. Then we got offered to go to Asia in 2019 by, with Gino. And that was going to be Waking the Cadaver. And that was like a huge deal. Because Waking the Cadaver like one of my favorite bands. And they just reformed as well. So the hype was like massive. So, right, if we want to capitalize on this, we need to release something new again. So we took the three songs we had, recorded them, like, practiced them as hard as we could, recorded them and released it on a split with uh, Gorevent, Bloodscribe, and, again, Parasitic Ejaculation. Then we're back to square one. Now we had to write an album. Then 2022 <laughs> rolls out. Here we are, fucking second album, finally. And only three of those songs are re-recordings. <laughs> so the pandemic gave you an album. Yes, yes Because man. there was no tours to interrupt Absolutely. your writing process. Again, again, like, I'm talking, like, I feel like I'm not hard done by it anyway. It's a good position to be in. It's like, sorry, we don't have a second album, but we have all these amazing gigs. And if anything, playing gigs and meeting new people and kind of releasing, like, snippets and stuff, it kind of makes people more excited. You kind of get more fans that way. You kind of stay relevant. Because that's the thing with, like, Slam Death Metal as well. So many bands appear overnight that you need to keep going. You can't stop or else you'll fade into oblivion. I guess, so like, Cryptopsy, you are, like, the standard of death metal. So it, I know you've, like, uh, not toured in a while you. and stuff. Uh, but Cryptopsy fans are going nowhere. You're just, like, gaining fans overnight because everyone's discovering Cryptopsy. Cryptopsy are the gold standard of death metal. So whereas, like, bands like us, uh, there's hundreds of death metal, uh, slam death metal bands appearing on people's bedrooms and stuff, gaining hype, losing hype all the time. 
So if we don't keep on it, we'll just disappear. We'll just be like another band. Hmm. So I've always been like, right, Park Canada, we always have, I want to keep like a consistent level hype, always have something in the pipeline, always have something to be working through. So if we don't have recording in the process, we need to have lots of gigs. If we're not playing gigs, we need to fucking be putting out videos or something like that. Just keep releasing stuff, keep our fan base engaged so they don't lose interest and go off to another like stupid slam band has just appeared overnight. So that sounds stressful yeah that sounds stressful you, you hit on two things here i want to i want to stop before you go somewhere else uh, you said contrary to popular belief uh, party canon songs are hard to play do, do you think people think that party canon songs are easy to play yeah i, I guess so man because i don't think slime death metal is particularly known for its complicated songs okay <laughs> but I've, I've, i'm gonna sound like a fucking nerd again and be pretentious but i feel in the kind of slime death metal party canon play is more in line with late 90s early 2000 unique leader type things like deeds of flesh and mm-hmm. gorgasm disavowed that stuff. so it's a lot of blast pieces all kind of complex riffing with a big emphasis on slam riffs so every song just sounds like legion and drastic put it that way so yeah so i think when people hear slam they just assume it's just gonna be like four frets chugging and stuff i like that stuff i like the sim- simplicity of it but party cannon have a bit more elements to it and then you mentioned hype uh, always feeding the, the machine of your fans' uh, attention span. Uh, do you think that Party Cannon versus Cryptopsy, you have a younger fan base? And, and because of that younger fan base, this TikTok generation, this continual scrolling that just you continually have to have something new. If not, you'll be forgotten. Is that feels I feel that you're stressed about this. This is like an actual stress of your life that you need to push party canon to keep being creative and to keep putting out input to stay in people's minds is what you just said. Do, do you think that's an actual thing or do you think that your fa- you would really worry that your fans will forget about you? I don't think it's so much to do with the TikTok generation, but as something I've always had in the back of my mind. I think it's more to do with home recording and the rise of just like internet projects and things like that and uh, mm-hmm. how fickle the hype machine is in general. So I'm sure you see it all the time as well. Uh, there's like bedroom deathcore bands that become mega popular for like a month then they just drop off the face of the planet and no one cares anymore. Uh, so I think I don't think it's to do with attention span. I think it's uh, of like audiences. I just think it's the saturation of music in general. So, with Cryptopsy, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to lecture on your own band, but uh, you've got like, the older fan base, and I think Cryptopsy would be considered like maybe a gateway band in the genre. So, when you research death metal, Cryptopsy comes up like the classic band. But whereas, like, Party Cannon, uh, if you look for slam death metal, there's going to be thousands of brand new slam bands that just people have recorded in their bedroom that have like good production value as well, cropping up. So, we're competing with them, they're coming up all the time. Whereas party cannons were plugging away, like slowly releasing music stuff, but we need to kind of have things on the side to kind of keep keep the interest going. Because why would you just focus on let's do party cannon when fucking slam anectomy have just released like forty songs in the past month? Maybe I'm crazy <laughs> saying that. Like I'm saying it out loud now. Like oh fuck, I am mental. But <laughs> yeah, that is something that I kind of worry about. <laughs> It's a good mentality to have, though, in a band like that. Someone to have someone like you in a band that motivates everyone else and has this concept and understanding of your scene and your listeners so that the band will rise up and become that when you Google Slam, you guys are right there. Yeah, yeah, it's to 
become like a staple in the genre, I guess. Uh, yeah, have something. I know we're a member of the logo as well, but you want people to remember the actual music as well, and you have something to give the fans rather than just a logo or uh, old CDs or old songs. Like let's do our song from 2013, where like, oh, like, we've still got new stuff coming out. We're still got, we're still like pushing it. We're still releasing quality goods for people to check out. I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I'd be stressed. But <laughs> um, I want to talk about collabs. I typically, I love making beer collabs, right? So I've released 33 beers in the past year. No, holy shit, man. I'm not going to ask you to make a beer. I am going to ask you if you could make a collab with anything for Party Cannon. What would be the perfect collab? You could team up with any company. Hypothetically, a Party Cannon Iron Brew would be something very sick. But uh, what else could you do? What else do you love that you would love to uh, showcase to your fans uh, via a collab project? That's a good question, man. I think it would be pretty good, but just not with my input. Because uh, I know the guitarists in our band are quite into beer, so they'd, they'd probably could do a good job. But it was me, personally. We did a me and my drummer were really into lifting weights and just fitness in general. We did a sports collab with a company called Barbell Beast. I'd love to do more stuff like that because I am just like a Very cool. endless pit of stupid fucking catchphrases. So um, we did this uh, studio diary and I described our album as having hench gym riffs and that made it on the back of like, that's the reason we got that uh, collab with Barbell Beast. Like, uh, the guys also called Chris, he saw it there, he was like, right, then he's going to share it and he'd do like a party cannon like, Sport collab. So I'd, I'd like to do more stuff like that, man, because uh, still part of brands. But obviously, that'd be pretty interesting to have like different kind of workout gear. You could make like high tops and things like that. You could like weightlift shoes and yeah, it'd be fun. There's like an endless amount of like things you do. And uh, I guess with the party cannon logo, uh, there's lots of kind of like fun colors you could have with things. So yeah, that'd, that'd be like that kind of thing. Like balloon shaped uh, weights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an or something. <laughs> the plates there, yeah, you know, the plates yeah. there on the barbell, balloon-shaped <laughs> plates, party cannon plates. That'd be very good. That's like that'd be something that I'm actually interested in. But obviously, people would want like a party cannon piata, a piñata, or something like that. <laughs> we'd use at parties. Hell yeah, so that'd be good because we've got that like, EP party and a half, and there's our old guitarist Jack, and he's split in half, and there's a confetti coming out. Of him. You could have a big piñata version of Jack that you hit with a stick. I know I'd enjoy that. I'd take out some latent frustration anyway. <laughs> I don't if Jack if Jack's like we're still like best friends, but <laughs> so it's all good. But. Amazing. One last question. I typically wrap up with what a hangover cure is, but we're not going to do that today. I would love to hear what the best part of this pandemic has been for you. The silver lining of COVID. You, one of them is that you guys got to finish a full length record for once uh, versus just dropping EPs because you got to go on tour. Uh, but what would be another silver lining of the pandemic? A good silver lining of the pandemic was that uh, it really gave us some time to kind of rethink our marketing strategy and put a lot of things into place and make some new connections. So over the pandemic, uh, we signed up with an actual management company. We got booking agents sorted. Uh, we did a bunch of, not collabs, but we did a bunch of licensing with uh, merch fulfillment companies and things like that. So it was really good for getting our business side of Party Canon in order. I wasn't just buy merch, go on tour, sell merch, come back, attempt to write stuff, fuck off to some more gigs. We really kind of sat down and came up with like a plan of longevity in a way. But in my personal life, um, silver line on job was working from home gave me a lot of time to like focus on things I really want to do. I play like more bass. Like I, f- I feel like I enter like a hyperbolic mm-hmm. time chamber of like bass line, man. Like I 
really played a lot of bass during the pandemic. Um, obviously, I saved a lot of money because I wasn't really doing anything. Um, but yeah, I think if I was to make like a really kind of like hallmark comment about the pandemic, it really made reevaluate my life and decide what was important and things I missed. Like when everything's taken away from you, you really miss certain things. And obviously, the things I missed most were playing gigs, seeing friends, traveling. So now that uh, things are kind of lifting and making those a big priority in my life, get back to gigging, play the best gigs I can visit all the places I want to play, make time for people I find important in my life, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, best thing I got in the pandemic was some perspective. <laughs> I also realised how lucky I was to be in certain positions, and I wasn't, I like, I could keep banging on about, I wasn't losing my job, I wasn't going homeless. Did really make me appreciate that I'm not doing too bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Chris, thank you so, so much for taking the time, having a chat with me, talking about your life, music, talking about a sober lifestyle, a drinking was never a part of my lifestyle <laughs> i really really appreciate this and um i think party cannon uh is stepping out of the pandemic uh, at a much better place and i'm excited to see where you guys go thanks a lot man uh, cheers Evan. cheers to gino for putting us here and cheers on my own man cheers Thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome, awesome conversation. I have to say thanks again to Gino Sompersong from Slam Man Bookings Asia for helping us set up this interview. I uh, greatly appreciate all your help, my friend, and I cannot wait to hang out with you again on tour. Gino, I love you. Chris, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me. This was a great, great conversation. I am uh, very excited that we had a chance to connect and I love your work ethic and I just can't wait to see what Party Cannon does in the next few years. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened throughout the past week in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, including all the details about any of the episodes which I dropped throughout that past week, if I've been a guest on someone else's podcast, as well as any information for any projects that I have in the works before I announce them to the public. You also get to see the reviews, which the Vox and Hops album review crew have dropped throughout that past week, and you'll see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has decided to put onto the Brutal Awakenings playlist. The Brutal Awakenings playlist is available on both Apple Music and Spotify and is packed with the best new releases each week. There's just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hops metal podcast, I would hate for you to miss a single thing, so please sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you have lots of fun. I will be back next week with two episodes yet again, one on Tuesday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy 
We can't wait to see you on the corner of Gray Street.